This is the Frogcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Frogcast. This wraps up our, our regular season, 6-6. Six and six, The Frogs lose to Kansas State 30-6 to six on a cold and rainy day in Fort Worth. I don't know who didn't show up more, the fans or the team. That's quite a competition there from this last Saturday. Nothing seemed to go right. It was almost predictable from halfway through the first quarter. But the Frogs go down 30-6. to six. We finish the regular season in the middle of the pack of the Big 12. We're going to the Liberty Bowl to play Georgia. We'll talk about that in a little bit in a second. We got a whole lot more to talk about on this episode of the Frogcast. Well, fellas, it has uh, mercifully come to an end here. The highs were kind of high and the lows were really low. The Frogs kind of trip across the finish line here where we finished six and six, lost to Kansas State. They controlled every aspect of the game. Trey, you're a fan. You're not a Fairweather fan. You're a real fan. You were there at the game. I don't even know where to begin, but take us there. What was it like? I mean, honestly, it was pretty uh, just, I don't know, lethargic or, um, you know, it wasn't it wasn't a good atmosphere at all. I mean, we pretty much stayed into in our car until like 1030 and walked over there. So we got to the stadium around like 1045, walked right in like we hung out in front of the stadium a little bit, you know, in frog alley. And that's normally where a lot of people are before the game. And there was honestly like hardly anybody out there, Um, which I'm not saying I expected a ton of people just to be out there hanging out in the rain. But, um, you know, last year, obviously y'all two were both at the Baylor game last year and it was, you know, rainy and cold and still had a really good turnout. And I know that the opponents were different and kind of the, you know, the team obviously doesn't have as good a record this year, but yeah, the atmosphere was just really dull. Um, Cause I think, I kind of think rain games can be fun, especially um, I guess my biggest thing with it is you knew it was going to be rainy. You knew it was going to be cold. So when you, if you can prepare for it, it's not quite as bad. I mean, it's not the greatest thing ever, but it's better than you go to a game and then it just like starts downpouring and you're not prepared at all. I mean, I had jackets and, you know, rain poncho thing. So I was pretty good. Um, but yeah, the atmosphere was just dull and the, the, the play on the field by the frogs didn't really give TCU much to get excited about. I mean, there was a couple things here and there, but overall there wasn't really a lot to stand up and yell about. Um, so it was just, it felt like everybody else kind of feels like we do. And the fact that it was just like, here's the last game, you know, let's get it over with, you know, we're here just basically to support. I honestly, <clears throat> I mainly went, cause like I said, I think rain games are kind of fun and you know, it was senior day and whatnot. And so I wanted to go and support the frogs, but yeah, it was, wasn't, it was one of probably the least fun TCU games that I've been to in a while. And it was probably, it wasn't a fun game to watch. So that was, it was just, yeah, I mean, it was a letdown kind of all around. Yeah, that's like the famous joke. Other than that, Mrs. Kennedy, how was the motorcade? <laughs> I mean, like, this was awful. We were uh, one point away from it being an absolute mirror of the Oklahoma State game, who beat us 31-6, to and we lose 30-6. to Daniel, how did, how did you stomach this? You're a lifelong Frog fan. You've been through some bad games, but comparing it to how we've been the last couple of years— did this kind of summarize the season for you? What what was your take on the K State game? It, it was a big letdown. Um, the whole season had been kind of up and down. You started, you know, pretty decent. Kind of hit a little, you know, speed bump there. But um, you know, you come back and you torch Baylor. And you're thinking, okay, good. And then you crash again, and then you kill Texas, and that was great. And I'm, I'm thinking, okay, you know, Kansas State. You never count them out. Um, because of Bill Snyder, but they, <laughs> it was more than that this time. They just, I, I, I thought, I thought of this weeks ago that Kansas State was just going to whoop our butt, 
and just push us around, and they did. They, they just they have that style of play. Um, there's some big old guys, and um, they that's exactly what they did. And that you know, the frogs not playing worth the crap really doesn't help uh, the atmosphere. Um, kind of like Trey was saying, but shoot. Uh, <laughs> Kansas State's play is so boring, that doesn't help either, you know. It's no fun when they score, but at least something exciting is happening. But nothing, they don't do anything exciting. They just kind of, you know, do these little delayed runs and and then they end up scoring on a 97-yard drive or whatever it was. Um, it, it was, it's hard to say because, like, it, it's, it was a bad game. I expected it to be about that much as far as the crowd um i expected a little better play out of that though that just there's i don't know that's what everyone's kind of so perplexed about i think right now that uh we'll probably talk about is just what what's going on you know internally but uh overall that was i left a few minutes early i don't i don't mind i was cold my back hurt from standing and uh i came home and took a nap so that's how i felt (laughs) That right there is you should tweet that. That is the summary of the season for for so many frog fans. Yeah, and you gave a little chuckle there, but when Daniel leaves the game early, that should tell you everything you know need to know about the state of that game and the state of the season. Yeah, I'm just looking at the box at the box score here. I know it doesn't tell you everything, but Jesse Ertz, their quarterback, 19 carries, 170 yards, 21, nine, nine of 21 for 159 yards passing. They ran all over us. Silman ran for 133 yards. They just they they ran at will. And when you compare what they were able to do on offense to what we were able to do, Kyle Hicks, 17 carries for 60 yards. Kenny Hill, seven carries for 50 yards. Darius Anderson, four carries for 22 yards. Don't ask me why he's not getting the ball more. And then you go to the passing game. We had the uh, the quarterback change. Uh, Foster Sawyer, 12 for 25 for 86 yards. That is sad. And Kenny Hill, five for 11 for 52 yards. That's not a whole lot better. So, Nothing looks good on. I mean, if you just read this box score, I almost feel like the game should have been forty-five to six. But K-State took the ball and they sat on it, like you said. They just methodically, bore in a boring way, marched right down the field, and it's death by a thousand cuts. When when Bill Snyder gets the lead and they and they're able to control the ball, there's just not a whole lot you can do about it. So we got behind. I felt like twelve, or when we were down fourteen, it felt like twenty-eight. That was the, that was my summary of this game, man. Was there any, I mean, I, I know we could talk about this for an hour, so let's kind of, let's, let's keep it really pretty tight here. What did you see that is clearly the, the glaring issue of this team? And you, you can contain it to K-State or you can take it back through the rest of the season. But what, I guess, I guess, what did you see in the K-State game that says this team is broken, that best summarized our problem? Man, I think... <sighs> I don't know. I, I, there's I, kind of the same problems that you saw in the Kansas State game are almost also kind of the same problems that you've seen, you know, trending throughout the year. And the fact that, you know, one quarterback play, whether it's Hill or Sawyer, yeah, you can say Hill after seeing Sawyer, you know, actually start and get a fair shot. Um, it, neither one, uh, you know, he'll hold on guys. Sorry. It's all right. Hold on. Dude. It's all right. Hey, I totally get that. man. That's so awesome. My answer is I have absolutely no idea. There, what, uh, there's not a singular issue. I don't feel other than like the offensive line. Um, I feel like, you know, that it starts with that and, and we got, Nothing, basically. I mean, uh, well, against Texas, running downhill, they shoved him all over the place and made great holes. You know, Darius Anderson ran one in for however many yards it was, and that looked great. So how come they can't do anything else? They're they're huge guys. They're not really undersized, like uh, maybe on the defense. So, you know, and then there's wide receivers that can't catch. we got quarterbacks that... Can't throw. Foster Sawyer throwing those short passes looked. Oh, that like was a, awful. It looked like a T Rex. It was awful. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah. Man, that was awful. Yeah, so you see, we, we got no consistent quarterback play. Our offensive line is is insufficient. I'll just, I'll just put it politely. They do not get the job done. And we're not able to run the ball. And then when we do throw the ball, like you said, one of two things happen. Our wide receivers drop it or the ball gets thrown at somebody's shoelaces. And I, I, being able to make those things both not happen at the same time seems nearly impossible. Daniel, you weighed in here. Trey, what did you see just pretty quick here that you this Saturday that summarized what was wrong with us this season. Yeah, I mean, no, y'all, y'all pretty much nailed it. You know, I was mentioning the quarterback play. Um, I agree with y'all on the receivers. Um, they have not been near as good as, as I personally thought they would be this year. Um, and then I think defensive line play. Um, those three things to me uh, need to get fixed. And I think you know, especially offense and defensive line, you can see the teams that have good units, you know, at those positions, they tend to have more success, whether it's high school, college, or the pros. So, um, got to get better in all three areas of, of those, the man got to, got to, yeah, I wanted to do a segment on this, but I'm just going to do it pretty quick here because I could talk about it for an hour. But if you didn't get a chance to watch, and it was on Channel 21 in DFW, the DeSoto-Cedar Hill game, Sean Robinson put on a show. And I am not naive enough to think that a high school quarterback can step in day one and start in the Big 12 in a, in a league that is driven by quarterbacks. But when I look at what we are producing on the field with our quarterbacks – and I look at what Sean Robinson has the potential to do with the receivers that he has coming in. I, I, I hope that we can be smart enough to manage that correctly. If that means take a mulligan next year and let him get his, you know, get his legs underneath him as a, as a, as a, as a freshman, or if that means make sure that we only redshirt him and take a beating another year to get him up to where he needs to be, man, that guy is the, he is going to light it up in the big 12. That young man was built to play in the big 12. And I hope that we're able to, uh, I hope that we're able to manage and coach him well, that he deserves that because my gosh, he's the best high school quarterback I have ever seen in terms of what he's able to do when he gets the ball in his hands. It was on, it was on my Twitter feed from the Frogcast. Uh, I guess it was Saturday night when he was at Cowboy stadium, man, that kid is on fire. Yeah, man, he looks good. And it, it does give you hope as a frog fan moving forward because, and we can talk about this, you know, in a podcast in the off season is just what's going on with our quarterback development, because you've got Hill who doesn't really seem to be, you know, much improved from when we saw him last at A&M. You've got Foster Sawyer who, you know, does not like y'all talked about, look very good at all. Um, you know, we really haven't seen the younger guys, but um, anyway, I agree with you. I saw some of that game and I'm hoping, you know, he comes in January, has a good spring and can compete for that starting job. And I don't, I mean, just based on things I've seen, I've only seen him two or three games now, but uh, you know, he has the size, has the arm strength. And, you know, with him enrolling early, that's another positive. And personally, I would rather take our lumps with him as a fr- true freshman starting than take more lumps with Kenny Hill next year. Because, you know, just get Robinson that experience. I would rather, yeah, go six and six again and know that there's a really bright future ahead than do- see the same old song and dance that we saw this year. Yeah, I concur. I, I completely agree with that. I would love to see him be able to get there, get out there on that field, man. I cannot wait. I, I'm, I'm not, you know, head in the clouds about what he can do, but I sure hope I, I, I what I see is, is got me excited. So one of the things that, that, that sorry, real quick, but, that, ahead, but you tweeted, uh, one of his highlights to me, um, from the Frogcast account of one of his rushing touchdowns and just the way, he moves and runs and he's like a, I don't know, Boykin, Vince Young. And I'm not saying he's going to be as good as either one of those, but he looks like he has that ability. I mean, I don't know. He makes you very excited as a frog fan. 
Yes, he does. That go one check run, out those highlights if you have. Yeah, go check that that highlight I tweeted you. It it reminded me of that run against K State. That's what that 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 run reminded of, where he you know ran the redraw and he pulled it out and ran sprinting down the sidelines for a touchdown. That was a sharp looking run there, man. He's got it going on. Well, one of the things that happened Saturday after the game is something that that rarely happens. If you've never enjoyed a Gary Patterson press conference, it is. It is amazing. It is both clearly um, informed and engaged to where he knows exactly what he's trying to communicate, merged with a seemingly stream of consciousness that kind of flow into one conversation. And you feel like half the people know exactly what he's talking about. And if you're not familiar with Coach Patterson's uh, uh, communication style, you might not know what he's talking about. But one thing he made abundantly clear was he was not happy with the turnout from the fans. It was literally the Fairweather fans that uh, were there, that uh, didn't show up. And so he went out of his way to say two things after the game at the press conference. He said the student section showed up strong, which I'm glad to hear him say that, and I'm glad to see the students do that. Second thing he said was if this game was in Manhattan and it had the exact same weather, that play- stadium would have been packed, and they would have done everything they could to create a home field environment for Kansas State. We did not match that. Guys, do you think that was a fair assessment? And if it is, why is TCU game day subpar? Um, I do agree to an extent. And, um, I mean, there's a lot of reasons why you could sit here and talk about why we have attendance issues, whether it's there's a lot of other options going on around you know our campus in the dfw area you can blame the small fan base uh you can blame the in and out policy you can blame not selling beer i mean there's you can blame the plus four ticket situation you can blame i think a lot of things um but we've always kind of had this problem um and it sucks it's it's it, I mean, it's like I said, you go to the game on Saturday and it's not that great of an atmosphere at all. Um, so, I mean, this is one of those you're almost kind of like, I don't know. It, it's weird to me that Gary kind of pulled this out again. I mean, I get it. He's frustrated. But at the same time, uh, it's almost like beating a dead horse at this point. Yeah, you want the fans to come out, obviously. Um, but on the flip side, you can also say they didn't put a very good product on the field this season either. And, um, you know, the two seasons before that, when we were winning, we didn't really see that problem that much. Um, I think DFW's always been kind of a front runner town. The Mavericks are doing good. The AAC's packed. I mean, Cowboys or whatever, they're going to kind of sell out. But, you know, when the Rangers are doing great like they have been, their attendance, you know, skyrockets. And when you see when TCU's doing really good, they tend to fill the stadium. Um, So, I don't – there's a lot of problems. Um, So, I don't know. I think they all kind of contribute into one big problem. And I don't know. I think you could do things to fix it. I do think they should sell beer – I personally think they should stop the in and out policy. Um, and so I don't know. There's all kinds of issues, I guess. Um, what's, what's your take on that, Daniel? Is it fair? And is there anything to do about it? I'd say it's pretty fair. Um, but a lot of the problem is that, you know, it, it hasn't been an exciting team to watch. And then you get down to this game, and outside of being senior day, uh, you know the game doesn't really mean anything. We um, Kansas State isn't some crazy rival like Baylor or Texas. Um, uh, so when we beat those, so that's out of the way. We uh, when, after we beat Texas, we came bowl eligible, so that's out of the way. You know, it's kind of like um, you know what do you, what do you want? It's 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 cold. It's rainy. There's other um, meaningful, interesting games to be on TV. I almost didn't go I actually myself just because I was in a warm bed you know at 8 in the morning (laughs) and it's cold outside did you know Um, where you woke up yeah and (laughs) so uh, there's there's, and yeah there's of course the beer issue and the the Fairweather fans and you know the people that there's just that um, 
they're just a particular crowd that TCU happens to have, um, you know, a little uh, more well-to-do and such, then it's just kind of just a soft crowd, I guess you could put it. You know, they're not going to be out there in the freezing cold like these, some of these Big Ten teams or something like that, um, you know, like Wisconsin or something, packing the house when it's snowing or something. Um, and that part of that's just the size of the fan base. And so it's just a myriad of problems. And uh, I don't really know if there's one good fix for it or not. I'm going to say something heretical. So you guys can kick me off the frogcast when I finish this. You know what the best game day experience I've ever been to is? Texas Tech. And I think about the compare and contrast of what they're trying to generate. In, in Fort Worth, you know, I got some friends that, that have done marketing and been inside the, that end of the athletic department. And they basically say their whole mantra is they want TCU football to be a family-friendly environment. They want people to be there. They want them to bring their kids. They don't want to have to worry about – they don't sell beer there because they don't want to have to worry about some loud, drunk fan – when you go to Texas Tech, I mean, I do not condone hitting people in the head with batteries, but that place is is designed, and everything that happens on game day is designed to get those you know those those folks fired up and jacked up, and they want them throwing tortillas and they want them yelling, and you don't see anybody getting kicked out for throwing batteries and water bottles. That is that is what they desire. Now I don't want to throw crap on the field, but there's got to be a middle ground there where we can have a safe environment, but have an environment that's intimidating and, and has fan. And it, and it comes back to the kind of the heart of the fans that we have. And, you know, there are the fans that paid for this experience with their, with their big checkbooks are the ones that are sitting in the club lounge or sitting, you know, sitting at the tailgate all get all day, not coming in the game. And I know they, they footed the bill for all this, but man, those empty seats are awful on television. I, did, I cannot communicate to everybody how awful those empty seats look. And I sure hope that we can kind of get inside what it takes to create a game day environment that generates and encourages people to be a little off center. Cause that's what college football is at its best. In my opinion, I understand wanting to be like a family environment and, you know, especially as far as back as that I can remember going it, they had to be a family environment. Otherwise nobody would go, you know, if yeah. one guy brings his family then that makes four people out of one guy that wanted to go to the game. So that gives them a bit of a crowd and it's it's just something fun to do. Um, it felt like the Rangers were like that too for a long time. Still kind of are, uh, but once they're really good, you know that kind of needs to, you know, kind of be tempered a little bit because you need a rough crowd in order to really compete. Yeah, there's that infamous video of the guy giving Baylor a hard time coming up the ramp. Good job, Big 12. Good job, Big 12. From I guess it was the 2010 game. Now, again, I don't want to sound like I encouraged somebody to down a whole uh, flask in a timeout to yell at those people. And if you wanted to pick a fight, go go for it, buddy. I'll be 20 feet behind you. But there is something about I want fans lining that ramp, screaming at those players as they are coming down and coming up. I, I, want, to incur- I want people to be afraid. I want those players to know that they're stepping into a non-friendly environment and there's not only 11 guys on the field that want to destroy them, but everybody in the fan in the stands do. So uh, I don't know how you get there. I get why they did the family friendly thing. I still meet people every day. There's like, Oh, I was a bleacher creature and I didn't even go to TCU and I'm a TCU fan. I know that that helped. I know that that generated some lifelong support, but we're at a whole nother level now. If we want to stay here, which is not a, a, a given, if we want to stay here, we got to step up the game day experience. That's, that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> I remember oh, one and- time, just let me real quick. One time, there was a guy just at the old ramp, then like the video we we're talking about, and it was after we played Vanderbilt, and the guy was just screaming and cursing, and yeah, you guys suck, blah blah blah. And I was pretty young, but my dad's like, that guy's an idiot, you know. It's, this is Vanderbilt. They're not. This they're gonna go off and meet doctors and stuff, and this guy's still gonna go home and eat his government cheese or whatever. And I don't know. I just always thought that was like you don't yell at someone like Vanderbilt because that's you know what I mean. It's just that's just a different kind of feel. Yeah, but you do mock Texas Tech, and oh, they get in yeah. here and beat us. So <laughs> yeah, what were you gonna say, Trey? It's just also I think a factor of just since redoing the stadium. I don't know. There still hasn't been, and I and I know. 
the Utah game was a rare combination of game day and, you know, just being a really hyped game. Um, but that atmosphere was amazing. And I thought when we got to the Big 12, we would see more uh, closer to that type of atmospheres. And I don't even think we've really even came close to that. And I just think it's a combination of kind of the seating layout and just how the tickets were distributed during the the reseeding process. Um, you know, when you, you know, yeah, you got the students right there on the east side, which that's great, but on, on the west side, you have those rows that are really spaced out and, you know, those are really high dollar tickets and a lot of times they're empty or you know, the crowd that can afford those isn't necessarily the be on their feet screaming the whole type, you know, crowd. And then I don't know. I mean, I get the club section, but, you know, then you got a lot of those people that are inside and, you know, you don't get their crowd noise. And so I think, you know, you just you haven't really seen that amazing atmosphere that you were kind of getting at the old Eamon Carter stadium before they redid it. I don't know. It just, it hasn't been as great as I thought it would be. With, with, the, closest, the, with the closest to like that Utah game so far with the new stadium, I think that'd be what, like Oklahoma in 14 or something. Yeah, that one was really good. Um, Kansas state in 14. I thought yeah, and I was going to say, yeah, Kansas state was really good too. Well, the Oklahoma game this year, there's no reason that shouldn't have been off the charts. So those are, those are the things that we got to deal with. You know, I'm, I know tr- smart people will look into that a little more than I will. But, yeah, I, I, I get Coach Patterson's frustration. And that those are the kind of things that trigger all kinds of fear inside of my body. Where I'm like, well, you know, there's some jobs open where they're going to have 85,000 people show up no matter who they're playing. And holy crap. <laughs> so I don't think Patterson's leaving, but I think he's frustrated. And he's got a lot for us. To, I, you know, he's got a lot to be frustrated with in the locker room on the practice field, on the on the game field, and in the stands. And one thing will start to make the stands better, and that's if we start to win again. So hopefully, I know he's losing sleep over this. Hopefully, it'll start to work again. Well, anything else from the end of this season, guys, that you want to highlight? We're gonna we're gonna talk about the playoff here in a second. Anything else that you guys want to lift up from what we saw from these twelve games that were just kind of shrug? This has been one of the, I think, most disappointing seasons in a while, even more so than uh, 2013, just because, I don't know, when you look at this year, uh, three of the last four losses have been by double digits. Um, You know, Tech was close, but the other ones have been uh, by double digits. And, you know, even when they were four and eight. You look at the losses and most of them were by 10 points or less. Um, there was, you know, one or two in there, like the Texas game that was, but you know, more than 10 and things like that. But I don't know. I was almost funner that season because you could kind of see potential. Um, you know, they just weren't, they were in games. They just didn't, you know, have quite what it took. And you obviously saw the next year how they rebounded, but this year has just been really like a big letdown, especially with the expectations everybody had. Um, and not only did they not live up to the expectations, like they didn't even come close. And it was just such a, yeah, just kind of uninspiring season. And I think the good thing is, though, if you look at take a positive away from it is, you know, when these type of things happen, Gary has the tendency to get these, get the team, you know, and program to bounce back and go in the right direction. So hopefully whatever they decide to do in the off season, he can get this turned around um, and going back in the right direction. And I, and I think he can, obviously he didn't forget how to coach our offensive coordinators didn't forget how to coach. So I think there is reasons to have hope, especially like we talked about with Robinson coming to campus and things like that. So, um, 
I think there is reason to have hope. It's just, yeah, glad this season is over with. I think there's plenty of reason to have hope because I think about 2015 and, you know, all the hype, you know, uh, come out ranked, preseason ranked like number two, and then the players started dropping like flies um, and ended up still, I mean, yeah, I know we still had, you know, Boykin and Dodson, but that defense was just bizarrely bad um, for a lot of that game, I mean, a season. And, you know, so, and a lot of people thought, you know, that might have been Gary Patterson's best coaching job ever because he was able to do what he did with what little he had. So that kind of gives me hope that maybe we'll see that again. I don't know what happened this year. Uh, It's just been just weird. But I, you know, in Gary, we trust, I guess. Yeah, I, I, to go back to what you said, Trey, to, to kind of compare 2013 until this year, this is the part where I'm not as optimistic. You know, 2013, like you mentioned, we had all of those games that we were close in. We, you know, we were within a score of LSU down to the wire. We were within a score of Oklahoma that year that beat Alabama in the Sugar Bowl. You know, we could have all of these games that we could have and we should have won. The only game that we got blown out in was was that rain game you mentioned against Texas. Everything else was it was a tight, close game where it never really was, you know, you, you needed to pay attention even when you felt like we could probably lose the game. Man, we got we got blown out by double digits this year in, in, in games that were just kind of embarrassing. I mean, like, you could just tell they mailed it in against West Virginia, against Oklahoma State, you know, it's again against Kansas State, and then losing, you know, losing that game to Texas Tech, that is... I know that they're going to make some some hard choices this offseason and figure out what needs to happen. And that might not even mean coaching change, but, you know, in terms of personnel and some of that stuff, they're going to have to sort through. But I don't feel as confident going into next year because I, you know, I don't think there's going to be any massive overhaul. And I feel like we really slipped this season in a place that our program can't afford to do. So I will be optimistic when they take the field, of course. By the time we record our preseason podcast, I'll be predicting us in the playoffs. But I just don't feel as pumped up about going this offseason as I did in the past. I'm discouraged. That's a long way to say that. <laughs> well, one of the things that we can count on in the midst of our inconsistency as, as Frog fans this season is – a totally consistent, objective, fact-based selection of the playoff committee. So there's no room for argument. There's really nothing to, to complain about. As always, the the committee gets it right. It's like uh, coming down on the tablets with from Moses from God. Alabama, number one. Ohio State, number two. Clemson, number three. Washington, number four. On the outside looking in are Michigan and Wisconsin at five and six. Trey, first of all, do you think they got it right? And second of all, if they didn't get it right, what would you have done differently? Um, well, one real quick, uh, I think you got it backwards. Clemson's two, Ohio State's three, Washington's You're right, four. I did, I did. My bad. Not that, My bad. I guess it matters. They still play the same yes. team, each other, but whatever. Um, so... I w- going into this, I was real afraid that Washington was going to get screwed. I thought they were going to be the ones this year that uh, were going to get left out, and I thought they deserved to be in the in the final four. So, you know, I honestly was hoping that it was going to be Alabama, Clemson, Washington, and Penn State, and I was just really hoping Ohio State was going to get left out. But I don't know. I can't have. I don't. I don't know. I guess I don't have that huge of an argument against it, except for, I guess, a couple things. One, it's just another year where I think to me, there's a little legitimate argument to have an 18 playoff, but I also think it sends a weird message that one um, conference championship games and conference championships period might not mean as much as a lot of people think or think they should. And that I I wonder how this affects out of conference scheduling going forward, just looking at Washington because they almost basically took the Baylor approach to out of conference and was still able to get in. Um, I mean, I think partly, I think, 
they were able to do that because they did have a conference championship game. So I guess that kind of goes against what I said about conference championships, maybe not mattering as much, but then, uh, then on the flip side of the Washington argument is Ohio state who did have a good out of conference win over Oklahoma. And that's probably one of the main reasons why they got in. And so you can kind of see both philosophies. Uh, I don't know, like you can see how each could have its benefits And so I wonder how teams look at that moving forward, because if you like, if Oklahoma would have had Washington's out of conference, then they're running the table and they don't even have, you know, the two losses, you know? So I don't know. It's interesting. I just thought that with Penn state winning, which most people think is the best conferences conferences this year, they won the big 10 and head to head, had the head to head over Ohio state. I thought that, I don't know. I thought that they might slip them in, um, but I don't know. I think it's it's going to be a good playoff. I just still don't like the system, the invitational. It's not a playoff, but I don't know. That's my thoughts, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. I, I hate that my favorite sport is decided in this manner. I mean, I guess it's better than not having – it's better than just two teams going at it, but it's still – not right and i just wish they would just fix it yeah i realized i was reading last week's uh rankings to you so it was alabama clemson ohio state washington then penn state michigan at number five and number six with ou at number seven the highest ranked team in the big 12 so yeah i was worried about washington getting left out too because i think they're actually i think they got to potential to make some noise i really like the way that team's put together but like you said they did take the baylor they did take the baylor route in so uh, OU does what everybody says you're supposed to do. They go out and they schedule non-conference. They got a Houston team that was on fire at the beginning of the year. They played Ohio State. What if they'd have played Memphis, which was another eight and four conference USA team or uh, American Athletic Conference team? And then what if they had played? Uh, uh, what if they put Oregon on the schedule when they were really good, and then of course would have destroyed a bad Oregon team this year? Or they, or they played Notre Dame like they did it a couple of years ago. If they'd have been undefeated with that, are are they in? Do, I mean, is that the direction that they should go? Because it, the reward seemed to be play a really good team and get beaten, then you're done. But the reward for Oklahoma or for Ohio State was they played a really good team and they beat them, and that's what got them into the playoff without. Um, winning their conference. So I'm kind of torn on all that. Bottom line is you have to pick between a bunch of one loss teams and it's hard. And I thought they had the criteria of conference championships and head to head as things that would help sort through the one loss teams. But Penn state had a, had a second loss. I mean, they lost to uh, Pitt. And at the same time, you know, who are we to sit around and talk about how whoever wins head to head should be in the playoff? Because I don't think any of us thought Baylor was better than TCU in 14, but they beat us head to head straight up. So it's complicated. I don't know that there's a perfect answer. Daniel, I know that you. The thing is, is, is I don't think for TCU fans, the head to head, we wouldn't be saying, well, Penn State had the head to head, had the head to head, I guess, if the committee wouldn't have made us think that head to head was such a big deal when we had the whole situation with Baylor, you know what I'm saying? Like I, I, you know, I don't think we would be talking about it as much as a factor when, you know, determining those teams. But yeah, you're right. Penn state, you know, had the second loss. So it's not exactly apples to apples. Like it was with TCU and, uh, and Ohio state or, you know, Baylor and Ohio state. But, uh, I don't know. I still, I, to me, you know, having that extra win against a team that the committee themselves had, I believe, at number six at the time of the game, you know, you have that win over a top 10 team. You have the head-to-head over Ohio State. You have the 13th data point. Those are, like, three things that I feel like the committee loved to talk about, so it's just weird when, yeah, whatever. It's just a moving target, so whatever. Yeah, it is a moving target. Uh, you know, the team that get, that uh, was at the center of all this for comparative scores was actually Pitt. You know, they're the ones that got they, – they beat Penn State and they beat Clemson. And so I saw somewhere that it was 
Kansas beat Texas, who beat Baylor, who beat Oklahoma State, who beat Pitt, who beat Clemson. So Kansas wants Bama. I thought that was pretty funny. <laughs> do you think Do you think that Bama could put a hundred on them? On Kansas, if they wanted to if they wanted to like if they, if they wanted that's to. That's my goal. I'm I'm putting a hundred. First half. <laughs> if somebody had promised Lane Kiffin, like, you know, whatever Lane Kiffin's vice is, yes, he could have done that. They could have done that. Daniel, what's your take on, on how the committee uh, landed where they were and the teams that they went with? It's a corrupt bunch of crap. It's, um, I think, you know, it's funny that in 14 it was all about head-to-head or uh, 13th data point. Um you know, and then then they were like, "Oh well, uh, TCU only played uh, one team that ended up being in the top twenty-five. Yeah, well, this year the uh, magically the uh, conference championship doesn't matter. They didn't even win the division. Um, now they're start. Now they're calling it um, where the teams were ranked at the time they were beaten. Shut up, dog. And um, <laughs> sorry. And, it's all right. Uh, and it's uh, it's it, I think it's it's a joke. It's all set up for me. They put the top four because they want a showdown between um, Nick Saban and Urban Meyer because I don't think the other two are going to win. So it's going to come down to that. It's a championship game. It's a bunch of crap. And I don't know. Every time, the more I think about it, the more skeptical I get that someone like TCU will ever make it. Yeah, it's tough. It's tough to actually believe that. And what's ironic, I wanted to highlight this. Uh, do you remember when there used to be three upsets in every conference championship weekend? Can you remember like when, you know, when Oklahoma would get beat in the in the conference title in the Big 12 conference title game or somebody would get upset in the SEC title game? I remember when those things used to almost happen predictably. There hasn't been any last weekend chaos since the playoff came together. And that is, uh, you know, whether from Thanksgiving weekend to uh, championship weekend, that hasn't really happened since the playoff came. I remember 14 sitting around thinking, well, even though that we're number three, it'd be good if Florida State got beat. It'd be good if Ohio State got beat. It'd be good if Kansas State beat Baylor. There hasn't been any chaos that is, uh, that is that's kind of shaken things up. Yeah, so we've had all of this predictability for three. This, I guess, will be the third straight season. And, you know, the chaos that they all have to figure out what to do with in 24-hour period has never shown up. So I think that's what contributes to some of the some of the tension is you're dealing with a bunch of one, you know, they have one undefeated team and a whole bunch of one-loss teams, and those are hard to sort out. That's just a fact. So they've had one undefeated team all three years, and the rest have been one-loss teams. And trying to sort through the one-loss teams is – it, it really is like splitting hairs. I guess I will give them a little bit of defense on that, even though they are total hypocrites on on changing the criteria from year to year. Yeah, one thing. Be, go ahead, Trey. Oh, go ahead. I'll I'll go after you. Go ahead. Well, I was just gonna say they're they're gonna have to come up with some kind of a, a more or less a structure to where it it is fair because like look at the uh, College World Series last year. One by Coastal Carolina, who I'm not sure I'd ever heard of before then. And you think uh, if, if they had their way, even though I know there's not nearly as much money in the college baseball, but if they had their way, they're going to let some little, you know, pissant team like that uh, go all the way. They, you know, they're, they're going to show them the door. And I just don't see how it's possibly good for for the sport or for for anything, really. Uh, other than making money for themselves, that they continue to do it this way. They just need, I mean, for me, the biggest problem is you can't necessarily play your way into it. And for me, you should. there should be a way for you to play your way into it, and that's by winning your conference championship. And if you can't win your conference, then you have your own problems. But I think if you win your conference – the power five conferences you should that should give you a spot in the playoff you have the three at large which i honestly don't care how they decide those whether it was a computer system or they have a committee or they did it by the ap poll or coaches poll whatever you can decide those three other teams because for me you know 
if you like I said, win your conference, you guarantee yourself a spot in. The other three are usually pretty good teams, and then after that, I just don't think you can really have that great of an argument necessarily if you get left out because now you can't really say, well, I did this, this, and this. Whereas if you could say, yeah, I won my conference championship, I got in. I don't know. I don't feel like there could be as much complaining from, you know, number nine. Whereas now if you're number five or six, especially Penn State at number five, you're like, well, I won my conference championship. I won the conference championship game. And it's like, it's almost kind of meaningless. I mean, I know they're excited to go to the Rose Bowl, but it was almost kind of just meaningless. I don't know. I just, I'm such an advocate for eight. I just think eight would be perfect. So Trey, then let me put you on the spot. Let's say they had the five automatic bids with Penn state taking Ohio state spot and OU taking the big 12 spot. And then let's just assume Ohio state is the, is one of the three at large. Who are the other two teams you're going to put in the playoff? Well, you, you're going to have, um, you're going to have, so Penn state would get the big 10 spot. So then you could put in Ohio state. Then you could put in, um, you know, I would say Michigan, and then you you can have an argument over, I think, between two teams, and that's Wisconsin and USC. And whatever, take your pick there. Um, but I think, I mean, I don't know. That's just what I would. Yeah, you, you're going to have a pissed off fan base. But at the same time, like I said, you can go back to saying, hey, win your conference and you would have been in. Yeah, you could use a you could still use a committee to both select the the three at large and then seed them so that even if let's say Virginia Tech had won the ACC game championship against Clemson, they're not going to be a top four seed. They're not going to be a top five seed. You can use that committee to 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 give an advantage and say, hey, Penn State or Ohio State's at large, but we think they're one of the three best teams. So we're going to give them uh, the three seed here, and however they would shake that out, whether it be on campus or bowls or whatever, it'd be nice to have that on campus. That that, that committee still could actually use a, a much more serviceable function to where they could they could use some subjectivity with a with a great reward. I mean, who wouldn't want an on campus playoff game? And you could reward it that way while still having uh, the 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 objectivity. Of if you won your conference, if you won a Power Five conference, you are in the playoff. And I still think that's why. I mean, the the playoff, the 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 championship games kind of bore me because you really know nothing's, not a whole lot's on the line. And uh, and a lot of people I feel like will say, well, if you go to eight, that diminishes the college football regular season. That's one of the one things that makes it great. And I just I disagree with that because. Every game would still count, and it would, to me, in my opinion, almost kind of entice people to schedule harder out-of-conference games because if you didn't win your conference and you did, say, like an Ohio State this year that had a big win over Oklahoma, then that's going to propel you into one of those at-large spots, and... So I don't know. Every game to me would still matter because you're still obviously shooting to win your conference. That's going to be your goal, your way into the playoff. But you you also still want to win those out-of-conference games. In case you do drop a conference game, you can try to still backdoor your way into one of the at-large spots and – like I said, if you had a big out-of-conference win, that's going to set you apart from, say, another one- or two-loss team. So to me, you, it still preserves the regular season because every game would still matter. And I think every game would still matter, and I also think that every championship game would matter because right. th- those would be playoff games. I mean, what you'd essentially exactly. have is, a, I don't know, 12, you know, all of those teams on it. And everybody that would have lost other than Alabama could have conceivably played them their way out of an, even an 18 playoff. And so if Washington lost, 
they might have gotten bumped down because of their strength of schedule. If Clemson lost, that's their second loss. And, you know, then you're starting to fight over two lost teams, and you don't want to be in front of the selection committee with uh, with two losses, one of which they just watched 12 hours before. And so I think that could make championship weekend a heck of a lot more enticing because it's kind of boring right now, to be totally honest. And just um... – one more thing from championship weekend is I really liked watching Virginia Tech and Fuente, and I think he's got them going in the right direction, man, and they could have the potential to be really good. His offense is fun to watch, and uh, yeah, that dude, if it would be nice to for Del Conte, just, just keep in contact with that dude in case Gary decides to dip out sometime in the next few years. Cause I wouldn't mind him taking over. Oh, I wouldn't either, but I have a feeling he might be going to our good yeah, friends. And no, Norman. I know he's going to be, he's going to get a really good job. Not that TCU isn't, I'm just saying, yeah, somebody's probably going to snatch him up. You're right. He's, but he played quarterback at Oklahoma. Did not know that. Yeah. Years ago for like one year to one and a half year. It was, it's an odd story, but he, he came, he's from Oklahoma and he played quarterback at OU for a year. So he's got roots there. He knows his way around campus. So yeah, I could see him in Norman. Well, well, that's uh that, that should tell you everything you need to know about our season. We spent more time talking about a hypothetical 18 playoff than we really did what happened in a really bad game on Saturday. So that should show you where everything is right now. We got a bowl game in the Liberty Bowl against Georgia. We'll probably come back on to uh, talk about that down the road between now and when that game is. For what it's worth, I think I'm going to the game. So it's only six hours from my house. So if anybody's in Memphis for the uh, Liberty Bowl, we'll be back on before then. But I'd love to get a chance to say hello to you. You could buy me a beer. So that will wrap up our show for tonight, guys, unless you got anything else before we um, wrap things up. No, I'm I'm done. bury this season let's bury this season let's bury this season let's bury this podcast my friends track us down on itunes we'd love for you to rate us follow us and subscribe you can find us at the frogcast.com we are proud members of the killer frogs family um we're also on um google play did i get that right daniel google play on android yeah, Google Play, all the little gadgets. You can uh, subscribe to us. We appreciate that. We've been getting a lot of downloads. We really uh, thank everybody that's listened. We've uh, really got, even got an uptick in who listens to us, from what I can tell, even in a shitty season. So, as always, for uh, Trey Fallon, for Game of Southern, I'm Jeff Mitchell. Thanks for listening to Frogcast. <laughs>